This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the NFL Draft is officially in the books. Can a quarterback improve his accuracy? We take a look, as well as start our deep dives into the newest 49ers. And with me this week, to celebrate a Champions League final appearance, it's David Newman. What is up, Champions League? Let's go. This, this was, I mean, it was weird. It was the first time, and we were kind of talking about this, uh, you know, early on in the game. It was like... The first time that I like really kind of felt something watching and like really knew that, okay, I was, I'm invested in this now. In your lifetime? Yeah. I've just never been for soccer. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say like, in just in general. Like, oh, no, I, no, 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 no. This is the first no, time I felt anything. Chelsea a, football. <laughs> as a, No, no. It's a soccer game. Obviously with the 49ers that had, that's like every game, you know, but um, yeah, in terms of like watching a soccer game and caring to the point where it's like I get you know nervous and or whatever it is you know just like yeah just the, the yeah. anxiety that comes with caring about an outcome so yeah. much so that I'm, I was literally in a work meeting and I'm on video I'm on a Google Hangout and I don't know if anyone saw me but no one said anything uh in when when Werner hits the the goal and then he gets called off sides I literally like th- like throw my hands up in the air and like kind of cheer and then put them back down again like oh whoops like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun though. That Chelsea are in the Champions League final. Man City is apparently going to win everything except for maybe the FA Cup, and they might find a way to win that too. But lots of th- today is also Cinco de Mayo, yep. and I don't know who needs to hear this, but this is not Mexican Independence Day. It's it, in case you were wondering why people celebrate. It's the anniversary of the Mexican army's victory over France at the Battle of Puebla. Way back to 1862, Mexican army outmanned two to one. They repelled N- Napoleon's forces, and this is basically a day that celebrates David versus Goliath. This is the Mexican 300, basically the Battle of Thermopylae, but instead it's Mexico. It's 1862, uh, and, and so David versus Goliath, and at this point. Uh, you know, David versus you're familiar with this, David, not just because your name is David, but in this case, your Goliath is my margarita skills. And on Cinco de Mayo, I want to know God. when you're going to make a margarita that's going to be as good as mine. I don't even want to talk about this right now. It's uh, <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. I would have made um, margaritas today, but we did not have anything for them. And I was too lazy to to go out and get some. So for context, a couple of weeks ago, Meg. We really uh, don't. We David. really don't need to. Yeah. David and his wife came over. Uh, I made a margarita, and <laughs> David's wife uh, just threw him under the bus and threw his margarita skills under the bus. And now it's hilarious because David, I'm sure, can make a mean margarita, 
but uh, his wife, I guess, just doesn't agree. He, no, no. Here's the thing: she hasn't even so the the time the period of time, right? So obviously, while um uh during a, a large portion of 2020, right, um learning to do many new things at home, and one of those there was a period there where I was like making cocktails a bunch. However, this was also during a period of time when my wife was pregnant and not drinking. Um, and the margarita phase came there. And so there was a period where I was making margaritas like every day, just about for, for a while. And, uh, yeah, like got pretty good at it and she never had any, so she can't even speak. And so, yeah, just completely threw me under the bus. It was, uh, it was awful. Yeah. I, I'm really not here to relive this either. Like, can't believe you're doing this to me. I'm already getting enough shit for everything else we're about to talk about over the rest of the episode. I need this too. People were really worried about you. Like, I got a lot of tweets wondering about how you were feeling having drafted two guards, having drafted two running backs. This was the David Newman draft, and people were very concerned about you. You guys are going to be surprised, but I'm not in love with this draft class. We're going to get to the draft class in general, because what, what we're going to try to do is, is we're going to do a couple things over the course of the next two episodes. First, we're going to address the elephant in the room, which is quarterback accuracy. We've talked about Trey Lance. Trey, I'm, I'm excited about Trey Lance. I love it. I just bought a Trey Area shirt off the interwebs. I'm, nice. I'm in. I love it. Uh, there's another one. I saw this. I got five on it. Like that, too. <laughs> My favorite right. barrier rap song of all time. I love it. I think it works. But we're, we're, we've talked about Trey Lance's accuracy and those accuracy issues in the lead up to the draft. Um, I mean, in, in case you haven't listened, in case this is your first time joining us on this podcast... Trey Lance's ball location on throws past line of scrimmage was like 10 percentage points worse than Fields, Jones, and Wilson. And he had the highest percentage of uncatchable, inaccurate throws amongst the same group. So we're going to do a little bit of a discussion about what it looks like for quarterbacks uh, that have kind of really tried to improve their accuracy in the NFL, whether it can happen, what can we learn, what's there, what, if anything, will it tell us about Trey Lance? And then on the back half of the episode, we're going to start the deep dive scattering reports on each one of the 49ers draft picks. This week, we're going to start with the defense. Next week, we're going to talk about David's favorite positions, running back and guard. David's going to be very excited next week. Tune in. I'm already I'm starting to feel to... a little sick. <laughs> this, is, this is just an episode where, like, I don't know, every time uh, we're going to have to pick some kind of a drinking game, and we're going to have to maybe record it on a Friday. And, and then figure out a way to make this uh, fine for you. Trust me, David. It will be okay. It will be okay. I'm going to be here. We'll lift you up. I'll make you a margarita if that makes you feel any better. Oh, a bitch. <laughs> okay, let's, let's talk accuracy. Exploring accuracy improvements. Have college quarterbacks improved in the pros? Completion percentage is not your compass here. This is not what you want to look at. In general, completion percentage is an outcome stat that paints with a really broad brush. What do I mean when I say it's an outcome stat? I mean that a quarterback can throw a ball that is not all that great and maybe should have been picked off, but still gets completed. That goes in the positive column. That goes in the kind of positive numerator for the quarterback, uh, for the accuracy percentage. And it wasn't really a thing that the quarterback did that was good. So it's, it's better now to, do, uh, to take a look at this with a bit more nuance. And rather than just looking at the broad brush of completion percentage, it's much better to look at a ball location, which 
is something that's charted by charting services like PFF. And luckily, because David is here, we have access to that data. Uh, and while we don't have a ton of snaps that we can look at, we do have the ability to look back at these ball location stats that have been charted for college quarterbacks since 2017. The problem, though, is that since we only go back to 2017, we don't have a wide tranche of data. And quarterbacks with a lot of college snaps that give us a really good picture of their college accuracy don't have a ton of pro snaps and vice versa. So there, there's limited things that we can take away from this, but we've probably got some directional data here. We can kind of bucket some players and we'll talk a little bit about what, what if anything, we can kind of glean from what accuracy numbers jumping from college to the pros tell us about what is going to be really Lance's uh, path to getting a bit more accurate in the NFL. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, again, it, it's not a ton to go on, and but I think it's a good starting point, right? This is something that we will continue to learn more about, you know, um, every, every season we get another group of data, right? Another set of quarterbacks that's coming from college of the pros. We get another set of, uh, you know, NFL throws for these college quarterbacks that are already there. And the more snaps of these guys that we can get on, on kind of both sides of that transition, you know, the the better picture that we're going to have. But I think, yeah, we we can start to to kind of pull some more general takeaways. And again, nothing is going to be definitive. And and with a lot of these quarterbacks, because they're so young in their career, like even their story isn't necessarily completed yet, right? Like there's um, you have somebody, you know, like Tua from last season who was incredibly accurate during his time in college wasn't very accurate last year, but he didn't throw a whole lot of passes, only like 200 something passes, um, you know, last season. So it hardly enough to really go on and, and make any sort of definitive statements. But yeah, I think there are some interesting things here that we can start to look at and, and kind of start to frame that conversation a little bit better. A little bit of context about the, the overall system, I think would be good in this case, because ball location accuracy basically is based on the premise that putting the ball where you want it relative to a receiver and the the coverage's leverage is a better indication of accuracy than overall kind of outcome completion percentage. So so that's where the idea of quote-unquote accuracy comes from. But the system was really baked over a little bit at PFF by a couple of really awesome people, one of which we've had on the pod. Uh, so who who really helped create, create the system at PFF over the last few years? I mean, so Zach Robinson and and Steve Palzolo were kind of the ones that that really got things started. And there was, a, you know, kind of a small group uh, of guys at PFF that kind of started doing some of the the college guys and and really going through. You know, I think actually it started it started with the NFL and they started doing kind of some select um, prospects. You know, at the college level, once we we started kind of diving into to college stuff a little bit more. Um, and, and so that was kind of the start. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Zach had a, a huge influence on the way that we chart a lot of different things. You know, the ball location specifically, the process that collects that um, is is also where we get a lot of other interesting quarterback stuff. If you ever, um, you know, read the quarterback annual at PFF, the things like how often they're, you know, looking to their left, how often they're moving on to their next read, you know, if they're in or out of rhythm, you know, all of these sort of things are, are things that we collect through this process. And, and Zach had a huge influence on the way we do that. Zach Robinson is currently the quarterbacks coach for the Los Angeles Rams, which is why we can no longer have him on the show. He's been banned, uh, <laughs> but but he uh, was wonderful when he was on the show and, and gave us a lot of really good insights uh, about quarterback play in general. 
So let's talk about the scope of the, the information that we have so far, because really we've got 14 quarterbacks for whom we have ball location accuracy numbers in both college and the pros. It's basically first round quarterbacks from 2017 to 2020. That gets you everyone from Mitch Trubisky all the way to Justin Herbert. It's Mahomes, Watson, Allen, Mayfield, Darnold, Murray, Jones, Haskins, Burrow, Tua, uh, and Rosen, uh, I think, and Lamar Jackson are all the players that are in there. There will be a test on this later. You better have jotted that down. <laughs> um, and, and really, we can, we can kind of bucket players into two really, really big buckets. One, largely players that kind of stayed where they were from college to pros. Right. And I think this one is kind of what you'd expect with most players, right? Um, and this has kind of been, uh, you know, I think the the assumption largely with with quarterbacks and accuracy and improving that from college to pros, but largely the the player that you were in college, right, uh, is, is kind of who you become in this specific area uh, at the NFL level. And so I think you have guys, especially recently, you know, I think we've had some really accurate quarterbacks come out, guys like uh, Baker and, and Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow over the last few years. Um, you know, they were all some of the most accurate passers that we've charted at the college level at PFF and, and have, uh, you know, during what we've seen from them so far at the NFL level have continued to be incredibly accurate. Um, and then you have, you know, a, a, a group of guys who were bad and, um, pretty much have stayed that way. Right. I think, um, guys kind of on the bottom half of, of this group, uh, in terms of their college numbers that have that have remained there, you're going to be players that just turned out to be largely really bad quarterbacks, right? And uh, that's guys like Sam Darnold, Mitch Trubisky, Dwayne Haskins, Josh Rosen. Um, and then there's a, a few others kind of more middle of the pack. Daniel Jones, for instance, is someone uh, who was kind of middle of the pack college and has been middle of the pack uh, so far in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, I think that the majority of these guys we are seeing um, – you know, largely be the same player from an accuracy standpoint um, at the NFL level that we saw in college. That leaves another group of players that might have improved from their college production. And, and we say might because the book's not written on these players. Remember that these are only quarterbacks that have been drafted since 2017. So they've got a lot of snaps to play, a lot of ways to go. You think of something like Drew Brees, Drew Brees, his accuracy improved from really the time that he was in San Diego to the time that he was in New Orleans, and he didn't become the the Hall of Fame Drew Brees until he got to San until he got to New Orleans. Really, so there's still a lot of ways to go for these players. But based on the initial things that we've got to see here, you're, you, the first player that really might have improved is Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson is interesting because he improved, but overall is still not great when it comes to ball location. So the the question is like that does any is any improvement good or does like you you can improve from like not being great to being like just a little bit better but does that even matter in the NFL if you're still bad at ball location? Uh, yeah, I, I think this is the I mean so the, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, right, are the two names that we're going to probably spend the most time talking about here and and they were honestly like for me they are are still largely guys who are inaccurate in college that have remained inaccurate at the NFL level. Now, their their raw numbers have gone up a little bit, and I think Lamar Jackson has seen a more significant improvement there um, over the course of his entire NFL career than we've seen from Josh Allen so far, um, and he started at a lower level 
um, by just a little bit in college as well. So there's there's a, a larger delta there that we've seen from Lamar. But we're talking about, again, guys who were um, in, you know, who were only throwing accurate passes on less than half of their college throws. Like, that's kind of the, the number that you get to really bad. You know, I think like that the top end, um, you know, at, at college, you, you know, you're seeing in the 60% is, is kind of like really, I think where you want to see a lot of these first round guys be the upper fifties, definitely 60 Joe Burrow, I think is, uh, has been the most accurate that we've tracked. And that was, uh, he was at 65%, right? So that's kind of the upper end of it. And then you get a lot of guys somewhere mixed throughout the 50s. And then your, your truly bad college passers are, are the ones that fall below 50. And this is where Trey Lance is right now. Trey Lance at, at about 47% um, would be lower than both Jackson and Allen. And so, yeah, I think the the question right here with, with these guys is how much do they need to improve in order for it to, to make a significant difference to them as a passer, right? Because Lamar Jackson has definitely been more accurate as an NFL passer than he has as a college passer. However, in, in the, the context of the NFL, he's still bad. Like he's still near the bottom of the list in terms of NFL throwers during the time that he's been in the league. And, and the thing about Jackson, which I find most interesting, especially as it pertains to Lance, is that Jackson has an MVP season under his belt. Like he, he is an NFL MVP, not because he is the most accurate passer in the NFL or really, I think, comparatively an accurate passer when it comes to ball location. But he is a complete quarterback that is able to power wins and losses for the team. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of people were saying, you know, Mac Jones is not the pick. And, and, and now, you know, Shanahan has talked about being obsessed with what he can do with Trey Lance. And it's because of what he can do in the quarterback run game that will effectively provide a runway for Trey Lance to still be good in the NFL or rather contribute to wins and losses positively and still maybe not be an accurate thrower, but still give him time to improve on that accuracy over time in his career if that is indeed going to be his path. So, you know, Trey Lance doesn't need to immediately be in year one, you know, a 20% change from where he was from college to the pros. He needs to be able to get a little bit better and he needs to maybe do some stuff with his legs in the quarterback run game to give the Niners basically more opportunities to win the game because maybe his overall passing isn't going to be where it needs to be or well it will be where it will be in three, four, five, six years. Yeah, I, I think the main thing, right, and this is kind of the thing that we saw from Allen last year um, because I, I do think Lamar Jackson, right, in terms of, um, especially early in his career is, is the, the blueprint that they need to try to follow in order to get, uh, Lance in position to be as successful as possible, right? Which is rely, you know, on, on the athleticism and, and get him involved in the run game, the designed run game, and, and not just talking about like, you know, scrambles and, and doing stuff like that, like get him involved there, um, and, and really kind of lean into what he does very well now. And then over time, again, if he does show some improvement in this area, then you can adjust from there. But I think that Lamar Jackson blueprint where they're, they're going to be very, very run heavy. Um, and you know, they're really only going to throw in situations where they really want to throw and they're going to take some shots downfield when they do that and try to generate some explosive plays. So I think that's kind of what they need to look at. But the the main thing I think that, and, and this is, I, I think, the area that is most likely to be improved upon, and, and this is what Allen did last season, which is, is being able to cut down 
on the rate you're throwing completely uncatchable balls, right? So it's improving the degree of inaccuracy, if you will, getting it from a spot where, you know, we, we saw Josh Allen uh, at times in college would, you know, sail throws behind the line of scrimmage, you know, screen throws to to his back or something like that that would just sail over the guy's head and wouldn't be even close, right? And 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 you see some of that stuff, you know, with Lance downfield. We talked about if you, you know, are a Patreon subscriber and, and you watch that video, we we talked about um, some throws there where it's just like, again, this these are, are not just close misses, right? These are, are throwing passes 10 yards over the guy's head, sailing them out of bounds, and, and not giving your guy a chance to even make a play on it. What Allen did is drop that number down significantly. So he wasn't necessarily throwing accurate passes more often, uh, or at least to a significant degree. But he he tamed down the degree of inaccuracy and he got more of them into a catchable location. And I think that's going to be kind of the starting point for Lance. And and effectively, he let his wide receivers do some work. When you've got Stephon Diggs and you basically get it into an area, Stephon Diggs is going to help you out. And so reducing the amount of completely uncatchable passes is overall a net positive. Uh, I think Allen went from uh, basically almost a 30% uncatchable, inaccurate pass going into 2020. And in the 2020 season, he dropped that down to 18%. I mean, that's that's a pretty remarkable dip. It's almost cutting it in half. And I actually and realized, really I'm going to make a small correction there from the time that I told you that number. So it wasn't 18%. So the everything we're talking about here is throws beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, the, the number I oh, had you, you added a those special ones filter. Out. Yeah. For, for the, the 2020. So he went, he did drop it still, but it wasn't as drastic. So he went from that near 30% mark, um, to where did it go to 20%. So yeah, it's still, well, we're still gonna pretty have good, to, but, um, yeah, we're going to have to talk about our research department and maybe provide some feedback and some coaching. Look, man, I got a lot of uh, fucking to, tabs open here, okay? It's hard to, to sort through. I'm going to need to improve the you know what? accuracy rate. I'm feeling rate. kind of attacked right now on this <laughs> podcast with the, the margaritas and the research. Um, I'm not feeling very appreciated right now. All I'm saying All right? is our research department's accuracy needs to come up to 2020 Josh Allen levels. You know what? what? Can't get Josh <laughs> Allen bad, so... So it so in 2020 he dropped at 10 percentage points, 9.9% to 20%. Still a pretty significant jump. And and there's a really good article in the Buffalo News where he talks about how he did that. And I think it's an interesting look at the ways in which a quarterback can do it. I mean, they've talked about digitally mapping his throwing motion to indicate what part of his body was firing when and you know, it should fire in a particular order with a specific chain and he had to adjust that a little bit. He was throwing to receivers at the top of hills to accentuate to accentuate shoulder tilts and ball arc. Uh, they adjusted his base to be more consistent. All things that can be worked on. And I think that the the if if there is a narrative out there, if anyone is talking, you know, on 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 the socials, on the medias about how accuracy is immutable, accuracy doesn't improve. I think by and large. That I don't know that there is anything that is you know a, a certainty or a thing that you can say yes or no 100% of the time. I think by and large, if you look at the quarterbacks that we're looking at, you know a good a good bunch of them stayed where they were at. If they were pretty good in college, they were kind of pretty good in, in the pros, and and if they were bad in college, they were kind of bad in the pros. But there are a couple of players that did improve. We've talked about Jackson and Allen. With Allen, at least we have some view into how they did it, which is interesting. But there's also another another group of players here that, that didn't prove, and that's Watson, Herbert, and Mahomes. 
again, TBD on whether or not they'll be able, well, on whether Herbert's going to be able to continue it through his career and whether or not Watson has a career. But Mahomes is another player that got a little better in the pros compared to where he was in college. But that may have been more a function of his offense and less so a function of his actual skills as a quarterback. Yeah, I think, you know, Herbert, we can set aside. Um, the Watson and Mahomes cases are kind of interesting um, the, because with Watson, uh, I mean, part of it is we only had, so he was it was kind of during the era prior to us collecting um, data for all college quarterbacks, right? So that was something that we started doing uh, in 2018, I believe. Um, and so he missed it. So we only have kind of one season that we went back and, and did um, for, for Watson. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I was, I was very surprised seeing his numbers in, in college be so low. Um, it was, he was, uh, though, like a quarterback, his accuracy number was low. So it was that, uh, it was one of those sub 50, um, accuracy numbers, but he didn't have a high percentage of those uncatchable throws, right? So he was still putting a, a high percentage of throws in a catchable location. And, and so we've seen him, um, just kind of, make a, a little bit more of those in a, in a more accurate spot uh, at the NFL level, which is, is is interesting. And I never really thought of, I mean, it was, again, very surprising to see that from Watson um, because he, I, I don't think many people watched his college tape and, and kind of thought of him as an inaccurate passer in the same vein as, as guys like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, right? So um, kind of an interesting case there. And then, yeah, Mahomes, I think, is is one that has gone from kind of middle of the pack to now in, in terms of this group of 14, he's been the most accurate, um, you know, so far in, in the NFL. And, and that is not just among this group of first round quarterbacks, right? He's, he's been very good when you look at his time uh, in, in the NFL as a whole and how that rates against just all quarterbacks. Like he's still very good. It's like, you know, fifth or sixth, somewhere, somewhere in that range, right? Still a top 10 type guy in terms of, of accuracy. So it has gone up, but I think a, a lot of that comes down to kind of more of almost more of a decision-making sort of thing with Mahomes. Like when you watched him at Texas tech, right? Like, those him him making insane accurate throws down the field were were still there and were all over his college tape right but i think what you saw more is because that you know the the talent on that offense was crappy and because they were you know always playing from behind or or at least in these shootout games because their defense was trash like he just forced a lot of stuff so there there were a lot of throws where he's just trying to make something happen because there's, you know, who else is going to make that happen type of thing. Um, and, and so you see some bad throws there that that are off the mark and in situations where he probably shouldn't even have been throwing it. Um, and I, I think he's been able to kind of cut down on that pretty significantly in the NFL, right? He still has some uh, random kind of boneheaded ones there, and he's obviously going to take some chances downfield because of the arm that he's got. But he's been much better about doing that in, in a way that um, is, I think, a, a level of aggression that you would like to see from your quarterback and not, not go into Jameis Winston territory there. So what does this all mean for Trey Lance? I think it Trey Lance's path to success in the NFL, at least initially it is likely something that is going to involve putting him in situations where he's going to succeed. Luckily Shanahan good at this kind of stuff. The one area where Trey Lance's accuracy is actually in line with all the other quarterbacks that were drafted near him or in the first round is when he's on the move. And, and if he can get put in situations where he's throwing on boots or on the move, uh, then that's going to increase or make sure that he's able to throw accurate passes in the NFL. If he can reduce his percentage 
of uncatchable, inaccurate passes, which was fairly high in college. I mean, in on throws beyond the line of scrimmage. We're going to check with the research department here. Pre-Margarita. Uh, whether we're going to basically his uncatchable and accurate throw percentage was about 29%, which was pretty, pretty high compared to the other quarterbacks. I mean, someone like Justin Fields, it was 19%, 19.5%. So we're talking about 10 percentage points, you know, clear of Justin Fields in terms of throwing a completely uncatchable pass in college on a throw beyond the line of scrimmage. If he can bring that down, then that's also going to make him overall a more accurate quarterback. Basically, get it on frame for Ayuk, for Debo. Uh, the other maybe, too, is just throwing throws that are just closer to the line of scrimmage. And that might help as well. Um, so overall, I think there are paths to improving the accuracy for someone like Trey Lance from college to the pros. And at minimum, you have the floor of being able to rely on some of his running ability, which I think the Niners will probably do more in the red zone than they will kind of in, you know, between the 20s, um, to help lift Lance into a quarterback that can buy runway until he has more time to improve on some of these accuracy items. So I think there is a path to improving that accuracy in the NFL, but it's going to definitely be something to monitor over the course of his career, especially over these first three years when his contract is cost-controlled. Yeah, I think the the reason that this matters, right, beyond just like, you know, everybody I think generally knows and has heard like, oh, yeah, accuracy is important for a quarterback, right? But obviously we've seen some some guys like Jackson and Allen um, that have had success without being one of the most accurate passers, right? Like even Allen last year in the improvement that he saw was, again, talking from uh, about going on that single season level from one of the worst in the league to more just kind of like, flirting with average right getting getting um you know up into the 20s like type of thing um in, in terms of his accuracy there so not you know he it's not like he was suddenly one of the most accurate throwers in the league right um and, and so we've seen guys like that have success um and, and so why does it matter if he you know like if, if lance just is what he is like can the 49ers still have success and i think to me there's there's kind of two things that stand out as to like why it's important that he improves his accuracy. One, I think is something that we've seen with Jackson and that if you have a quarterback that, that is in that kind of mold, that isn't going to be someone you can rely on to throw accurately consistently down the field, it's going to be tough for you to play from behind. And, and so the thing that Baltimore has been able to do very well with Jackson is, is they control the game, right? They get into these positive game scripts. And we know that this is something that Shanahan likes. We talked about this a ton last season, right? And and this is kind of the way that the 49ers were winning games when they won them last year is you have to get into these positive game script um, sort of situations where you can play from ahead and, and play with a lead, get out early, get that lead, and then you can really lean on the run game. And you're not in a lot of these situations late in the game where you need to just drop back and throw every down and everybody knows you're going to do that. Right. So I think when you, when you get into those situations, it's difficult for a quarterback like that to have success. Like you, you your offense is going to sputter a, a little bit and, and unless you just happen to get him on a good streak. Right. And, and the other reason is even the difference between we've talked so much during Shanahan's time about, uh, and, and this is as it kind of relates to Garoppolo, right. And, and, um, with his accuracy, because early on, the thing that we were excited about is, is it is he was throwing the ball very accurately, right? It wasn't just catchable. It was in a great location. And that's the difference for an offense that's designed 
around creating yards after the catch, right? Shanahan's doing all of these things to get open throws so that all of these playmakers they've added on offense can do great things with the ball after they catch it. The, that's the the accurate and even the catchable inaccurate stuff, right? So the, the things that are still in a catchable location, the receiver has a chance, that affects the, the yards available after the catch and is going to affect the overall um, efficiency of this offense. So I think to me it's like, how much are they going to change the offense, right? If if he can't even get to Jimmy Garoppolo levels of accuracy um, with, with what they've been doing offensively, right? So I, I think they're going to need to make changes if he can't do that. So that's another kind of thing that sticks out as to why this is an important thing with Lance and his um, overall success with the Niners. I would add one more thing, and it kind of dovetails to the first point you made, and it's it, it's really about the consistency of what you can expect out of your quarterback over uh, on any given day. Because if basically what you're banking on is if let's say you're going to move to you know the, the Josh Allen territory, where you're like you know what if you just improve your uncatchable passes, that's good, but it still means the receiver has to make a pretty good play. Well, now what if your receiver doesn't make that play, right? Because the ball isn't in a great spot. Now you're you're really it's not the quarterback that controls that, which is ultimately what you want. You want the quarterback to control what the outcome of the play is by where they place the ball. And that's why ball location accuracy is so important. If I want to throw a back shoulder, I throw a back shoulder, and now you know I'm able to play off the defender's leverage. The throw beats the coverage. That's what really, really good quarterbacks do. And that's what quarterbacks that are often in the elite tier do over and over and over again. And if you're kind of relying on a wide receiver to make a play, or just getting it into an area, now things aren't less things are less consistent. They're not as repeatable. And if they're not as repeatable, then I don't think that your performance or your seasons are as repeatable. Yeah. And at that point, then you're at the whim of whatever happens in a given year, as opposed to being able to control your destiny when you get behind, when you get in the playoffs, when you go up against really good defenses and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it is the difference between, I think, you know, being to your point, Jimmy Garoppolo level, where you can get there, and like if all breaks your way, then you can get to the Super Bowl. But if things, like ultimately the NFL is won and lost when things don't break your way. When it's fucking third and 17 and you've got to throw a wasp play and, and it ends up happening, and that wasn't necessarily accuracy per se, but like you've got to get in those situations where your quarterback is going to win you the game and they go and win the game. Right, which is fine, to be in this situation now where he's not the one that's elevating the team, right? Where, where the success of the offense is, is kind of solely on his shoulders in a way, right? Where you know that if he comes out and has a good game, you're going to be fine offensively. It's okay to not have that when you have this quarterback on a rookie deal, right? That's, that's the, the wonderful thing about having a, a quarterback on a rookie contract is because now you have all this extra money that you can disperse out to, to your other players and you can make sure that he has a strong supporting cast to, to lift him up, right? Um, it's, it's kind of once you get beyond that and you start having to pay him like a big-time quarterback, right? And, and now that's, things are a little thinner in those other spots and you need, like, that's what, that's what separates the elite guys, right? The, the guys who are consistently good every single year, that the type of guy you're hoping to get with the third overall pick they lift the guys up around him. It doesn't matter who they have at receiver, who they have on the offensive line, whatever it is. Like you know that you've got a shot just because that guy's behind center. And and if that guy can't throw the ball accurately, he's not one of those type of players. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything 
which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Let's switch gears a bit and let's talk draft pick scouting reports. Hard left turn. Accuracy on the front end. Basically, that was like a a deeper dive into the third overall pick. Now let's get into the defensive picks. We're going to start with Ambry Thomas. And we're going to give you the same structure that we do with most of our scattering reports. We're going to talk about their athletic profile. We're going to talk about what they do well. We're going to talk about some areas of concern. Ambry Thomas picked in the third round, 102 overall. This is going to be the minority coach pick of 2021. He opted out in 2020, but he played for Don Brown uh, at Michigan in a press man scheme. Uh, Had a lot of press man snaps, and he was named the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year for Michigan. So, Ambry Thomas, third round. What do you like about him, David? I mean, I think the the thing that you got to start with is that he comes from a system that, you know, is is much easier than a lot of them to, to you know, I guess, project how he's going to translate, right? Playing in that kind of press man type system that they, they run at, at Michigan there, it just gives you a lot of snaps with him. Um, you know, kind of isolated on receivers in these one-on-one situations, right? Um, the unfortunate part is that he didn't play a lot, right? Because like you mentioned, he opted out of, of 2020. And so we really only have the one full season. So it's still not as many snaps as, as you would like, but he did it. We did at least like get a cram a few more into that one season uh, than, than you would at a lot of other systems. So I think, yeah, you, you get to see him in those situations um, that you want to see how he's going to do in, in, you know, at the NFL level. And I think he does have enough athleticism to play on the outside, right? Which is something that I, I don't know we can say about, um, you know, the next DB we're going to talk about. But uh, yeah, I, I think you can see what the 49ers like in him in terms of that. I, I think it's more of a, a Seattle profile corner type of pick, right? That That we talked about really early on. Um, in, in this regime's tenure, right, where you're, you're talking about guys that are a little bit longer um, and they can really play the vertical routes well and, and kind of run with those vertical sideline routes um, and, and then really defend kind of more of the outside stuff. So like thinking things like the deeper comebacks, the deeper outbreaking routes, right? You give them kind of this smaller route tree to really have to worry about knowing that they're going to have help if, if guys go inside. I think he, he kind of fits that style of player more. Yeah, if you think about his athletic profile, I mean, he ran a four three seven forty at his pro day. But what's interesting about him is is we think back to Brandon Ayuk, and Brandon Ayuk ran like a four five forty at at the combine. And you roll his tape, and you're like, that dude runs faster than a four five forty. Like that guy, that guy is quick. He's got a change of direction. He's outrunning people at the second level. He's not four five. He runs faster. Uh, and and. Ambry Thomas is not like the extreme opposite, but he's a little bit of the opposite. Like you, you watch him on tape and you're like, I don't think that guy really runs four, three, seven with pads on. Like he's not slow by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but he's not running four, three, seven. He doesn't have any glaring athletic deficiencies. I mean, he's got a 75th percentile vertical jump, 51st percentile broad jump. He's got the, the Seattle tick box, which is 32 inch arms, which is great. That's what you want. We've <laughs> talked about how length helps you when you're trying to get in a position to swat a ball away or get a PBU. But 
that's that athletic profile affords him enough to do a couple of things well. And one of them is playing those vertical routes and playing with good leverage, especially if those routes break to the corner. Couple routes where he's in that hit pocket when that receive when he's able to play the receiver that's going into his leverage and he plays it well. Um, and and I think that even though he's not like an overly physical dude, like he's not super big, not super fast, he's he is an absolutely willing tackler. Uh, he, so much to say, I would say that he's a good tackler. Um, and it's not someone that you're going to have to worry about, uh, you know, kind of on the outside in terms of tackling. Because you think about the last third round pick the Niners had that had a positive athletic profile it was a Keller Witherspoon. But he just wouldn't tackle on the edge. He was soccer sliding on the edge in college. And he got better in the pros. But yeah. but that was the last time the Niners took, a uh, you know, another like athletic third round guy that they thought could cover the vertical route in more of a cover three scheme. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, again, only missed four tackles. So I think, yeah, the tackling spot uh, point is is spot on. Um, yeah, I, I think like the he does play with with good leverage, which is is something you don't always see surprisingly like it's it's really frustrating. So in most defenses, especially in man coverage, right? Um, this is is going to be true the majority of the time, like the, the corner is playing with a, a, a certain leverage in mind, right? He's whether it's um, you, you want to play to your help, essentially, I guess is kind of what it comes down to. And so like when you play a lot of cover one, for instance, you're going to see a lot of guys uh, play with outside leverage because they've got their help with the deep safety in the middle. And a lot of times you might even have an, an underneath player in the middle of the field there. So you can kind of give up a little bit more space to the inside because you know, you've got some guys there that can help you out. But a lot of times guys play with outside leverage and then they still get beat to the outside there, right? They, they still bite on the in fake and, and uh, end up losing to their outside leverage where they have no help and there's no one else there to be able to save them. And, and that was something you rarely saw from him. Like there were, were definitely times where guys would take kind of an inside release when he's playing outside leverage. They would try to give him a fake to the inside and then they would break it back outside and he was right there and, and was cutting the route off and and shutting it down and not really even giving guys an opportunity um, to, to get to the catch point. So yeah, I think there there were definitely some things that he did on the outside that um, that were very positive and that, yeah, I think you can see what they they liked in him. But it was just, yeah, I think the, the tough thing is just not getting enough snaps from him I, I i think you didn't walk away from his tape like feeling like you you kind of got the full picture you know what i mean yeah he only had 57 targets to his name which isn't a lot for a two-year career he only 776 snaps in his two-year career uh, and so overall i think it, if he plays that vertical well he's able to stay in the hip pocket play within his leverage and honestly if he gets his hands on you he's probably winning the rep which is which is good because the Niners do that a lot. The Niners like to play their corners up on the line of scrimmage. And, and well, unless you're Richard Sherman, you have like half of an Achilles. Uh, and in which case you're playing 10 yards off every single snap. Uh, but, but he is going to be able to play some of that press man that the Niners at least cover three scheme demands. Um, now, and when we get to areas of concern, you think about him navigating space on underneath traffic, something he had to do a fair bit because if he's playing man coverage, if he's playing in cover one, then if you run mesh, if you run a drag route, if you run any of those you know, kind of pick plays, he's going to have to navigate that mess underneath. And he had some trouble navigating that and he let some receivers get some catches just simply because he was trying to go over and under guys that he just shouldn't have been doing. Yeah, there were some times, and this was, you know, uh, a lot of the times this, when this was happening, it was when he was 
uh, ended up in the slot because they just the way that they were matching up um, in in man coverage, like he would kind of come over from the the side that he was on and and end up being um, you know kind of more of an inside player because there were no outside receivers to his side of the field, and so he would end up in some of these situations where yeah he's up tight to the line of scrimmage and and just. Uh, ended up losing on some vertical routes because he didn't do a good job of of kind of navigating through the traffic and, and avoiding not only the other receivers that are trying to kind of get in his way, but, uh, you know, his own teammates there. And, and you have to have, you know, kind of good rules about who is going to play off, who's going to go over the top, right, when you're running into these pick situations. Like you need to those your, your teammates need to be on the same page, right, in terms of what you're doing in those situations. And so we just saw yeah, some some mix-ups there and and kind of some big plays that he surrendered as a result. And then I think, yeah, you you don't really love what you see from him on like more of the intermediate stuff. Like, and granted, uh, I would have loved to see more snaps of this. Like it, it felt like a very large percentage of his targets were on like the vertical routes downfield, which uh, again, he did, uh, I think, largely a good job on those. Um, but he did you know, probably give up more than you would, would like to. It seemed like just about every other game, there was one that somebody was slipping past him and, and getting over the top. But yeah, I think really with the kind of the, the intermediate stuff and, and kind of where you want to be able to see him m- more mirror and change direction and stay with receivers. Like you just didn't see a lot of it. And and on the few kind of chances where you did get to see him on some of those type of routes, like they, they weren't very good reps. So I think, yeah, you do worry about his, his change of direction, his ability to, you know, kind of get out of breaks and stick with receivers on, on stuff beyond just kind of like, you know, again, those deep kind of outbreaking stuff that really play off the vertical release. Yeah. But overall, he's an almost six foot corner um, who has experience playing the types of defenses that he's likely going to be asked to play on Sundays for the 49ers. He's a willing tackler. Um, He, because he, he opted out. It, part of the reason we don't have a lot of snaps from him is because he opted out in 2020. So a lot of the snaps that we saw were in 2019 and he's got a snap against Jerry Judy where he's out on the sideline and Jerry Judy tries to hit him with that dead leg that left many a defensive <laughs> back looking for a mortician. And, and he was able to, you know, basically ignore that dead leg move and make the tackle on Judy. So he's got the ability to make tackles in space on NFL wide receivers on NFL wide receivers that have, you know, kind of elite change of direction and open field ability. So overall, I think you understand why he was drafted in that third round, even with limited snaps. And, and I think if he can improve, seeing him play more is going to be good. And he's probably going to have a backup role for the Niners immediately. I think you look at uh, the, the starting cornerback roles being locked up, but he's a good depth piece at outside corner. It, now we don't have to rely so much on the barnacle, Dante Johnson or Tim Harris uh, to save us. He's, he's going to be a good developmental player. Who's likely going to get some, diff, some um, special team snaps right away while he works on his game overall. But now we get to probably the, the pick for the better rivals, not because he's necessarily good, but just because his name is impossible for us to pronounce. And I feel like John Lynch, I, I feel look, I feel attacked. I feel like John Lynch said, how do we ruin the, the lives of... The, even they couldn't even get his name right. They were calling him Demo. But his yeah. name, if I'm, if I'm reading the letters on the screen correctly, is Diamador Lenoir, which is a great fucking name, by the way. I mean, it seems, and, that seems accurate. 
But Demo is not one of the things that I would contract his first name to. That's like these are football coaches, man. Football, we we can't apply reason to them. They just oh, like okay. I, love, I see some some letters here. Demo, yeah, well, kind of like Demo. In the post in the post draft presser, uh, Lynch and Shanahan kept passing a paper back and forth for notes on these players. And so, when the reporters would be like, "Yeah, so what did you like uh, about you know Diamador?" And he was like. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to help us with the names. Uh, we're just going to call him Demo. It like takes the paper from lunch and he's like, so here's what I liked. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> great. But he was selected uh, in the fifth round, pick 172. He was a defensive back. He is a defensive back. Senior, finished his career at Oregon with 34 consecutive starts at cornerback. He played a lot of football. He's like the opposite of Ambry Thomas. Uh, the team indicated they'd likely play him at nickel and incidentally, this is the pick that the Niners got as a result of the Quan Alexander trade. So, David, what is it that you like about Diamador? Diam- yeah, Diamador. That's right. Lenoir. <laughs> Lenoir. Um, yeah, so Demo. Um, I think that, yeah, he, he runs into kind of the opposite issue. And I don't know that it's like actually a good thing. Um, you know, like you mentioned with Thomas, right? It's like he has the opposite thing where we have a bunch of snaps for him and and i don't know that that was essentially a good thing because i mean we basically saw him play a significant role for four seasons and the the unfortunate part is that he didn't really get that much better so i i think that's kind of like the the most concerning thing but i think when you look at what he does well i don't think it's going to be at outside corner so he, he played mostly at outside corner i think the the traits that he shows that are that are more positive lends itself to more of kind of an inside role um and again i think you you see kind of uh the the physicality the tackling really show up with him similar to to thomas right um where, where he wants to kind of be up around the line of scrimmage. He wants to be physical with people. Um, you know, he's, he, he spent a lot of time in press coverage uh, at, at Oregon. And he, um, like, maybe more than anything else, the, the thing that we saw him do was just uh, run guys out of bounds on vertical routes. And so, you know, a lot that of was them, that man's jam. It was like, it was, I, I, believe, I believe the exultation during the film watching was, hats off to my dude. Because it was a ref throwing his hat off every single time there was a sideline route and Lenoir was in coverage. Look, refs were throwing one of two things when he was in coverage. And a lot of times <laughs> it was uh, it was the hat, but a lot of times it was that other thing that they've got too. Um, but yeah, like so he spent a lot of time playing uh, it, on the boundary corner uh, spot for Oregon, meaning to the, to the short side of the field, right, when the ball's on the hash. And so there, there's not a lot of space there to work with anyway. And he would just um, get on top of, so again, he wants to get physical at the line of scrimmage. He would make contact early and he would get that good position kind of uh, on top of the receiver in a lot of ways, right? He, he didn't want to like end up on kind of that low hip where he's, he's kind of like just kind of slightly trailing the receiver as he goes downfield. Like he was getting on top of guys and then he would just basically wall them off and, and, and kind of push them wide to the sideline and, and get them out and in college. Like once they're out, they're out like that's, that's it. Like play over, right. If they, if they throw it there, like that receiver can't come in and do anything. So, um, yeah, he just had a ton of snaps where, where he did a great job at it kind of squeezing that receiver wide and getting him out of bounds and, and really eliminating him from the play. Right. And, and so, um, yeah, I think that was kind of the, the main things that we saw from him that, that really stood out in a positive way. 
Yeah, and I think overall, if you're looking at areas of concern, you've got to wonder about what he's going to project to in the nickel when his strength seemed to be really using that sideline to his advantage as an outside corner. And now you're giving him, you know, kind of a two-way go. And, and in snaps where you have receivers that are able to, like, especially quick twitch receivers that can give him a little bit of wiggle at the top of the route, he didn't perform all that well. He got roasted by Brandon Ayuk in the Arizona State game. Um, I mean, like, really, really bad. Uh, Ayuk was just completely past him, where he's kind of kind of flat-footed and standing and just grasping for air while Ayuk is catching a touchdown. Um, and, and it's part of what contributed to the fact that he had a lot of flags thrown on him. It's just he is kind of contacty through the route. And part of it is because he, he's a good athlete. He's got decent speed, um, but he's not exceptional really anywhere else. Um, he's kind of in the same mold as Ambry. I think Ambry's a little bit better athlete, but he just he, he's just not as big as Ambry. Um, and so, you know, overall, it's like he's going to have a lot of people kind of get into his chest and then he's going to get a flag if he can't get him off to the sideline. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he's like in the nickel if that's exa- if that's where the, the team decides to play him. Yeah, nickel, nickel does, I agree, like seem kind of a stretch. Like I, I think inside is is better, but I think more more safety probably than than nickel because um yeah like again the change of direction just really doesn't seem to be there and and he gave up a lot of separation on and kind of more of the in-breaking stuff and, and intermediate type routes right um like especially like he he gave up a lot in the red zone which is surprising um in, in terms of like separation like usually things get so congested down there and there's so many bodies around like you don't see guys uh, really give up a ton of separation once you get down there in the red zone too often. And and there were just a lot of plays where he just wasn't close enough. I think he gave up uh, like 15 touchdowns over the course of his college career. So just like, yeah, it, it wasn't really there. And I, th- I think you didn't see like, um, you know, in, in again, he doesn't have the athleticism, I think, in the change of direction, right, to be more of a man coverage guy. But then you didn't really see the the playmaking uh, in zone coverage, right? So it, it's tough. Yeah, I, I think like they're the 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 physicality that he shows and like the the willing tackler and things like that make me think that he could you know again maybe kind of find uh, a role as a safety. But yeah, it, it is I think tough seeing um, where exactly he's going to fit with some of those deficiencies because again I, I definitely don't think it's outside corner. I think we've seen so many snaps of him at that and just not doing really uh, honestly that great of a job in that role that we can kind of rule that out. And, and it's just hard though, to know again, where he's going to slot on the inside either too, because the, the change of direction does really limit you as a slot guy, unless you're just going to sit here and play, you know, soft zone coverage all the time. And you're just going to basically tell him that he only needs to be, you know, kind of an underneath dropper and he's never going to have to match up with somebody, which would be, uh, a big departure from you know kind of the direction they've been going from a coverage standpoint but also another guy who is good at tackling just nine missed tackles on 168 career attempts which is great um, so then we get to the third fifth round pick and that's going to be Tala. oh man i already screwed it up <laughs> talanoa hufanga safety usc fifth round 180th overall. This was the first safety that the 49ers picked since 2017. Scott McLuhan loves him. Scott McLuhan did an article with Matt Barrows in The Athletic where he does a breakdown of some of the picks. He, he didn't look at all of them, but he did 
do some research on a few of them because McLuhan is is a consultant and has a scouting service uh, and consults with two or three teams every year. But he thinks that Hufanga is a third rounder and, and loves his tape and thinks that it was a steal for the 49ers in the fifth round. David, do you agree? I think he's a steal if this was the, the fifth round in 2005, maybe. Like, I, I just think, yeah, he, he very much is kind of uh, seems to be in the profile of that, like, old school, strong safety, like, thumper type. Like, he really is more, I, I think his, his best bet is, is maybe even at linebacker in the NFL. Like, he, it looks like he cut some weight uh, for his, you know, pro day or whatever to try to, to, to improve on kind of some of the athleticism numbers that, uh, weren't really great. Like he's not, he doesn't stand out as a great athlete, right? He's got, uh, the same sort of issues that we've seen from a lot of DBs in, in this class, which is that he, he moves okay in a straight line. And I think when he's playing downhill, right? So if he can either, um, you know, be a, the safety that's kind of rotating down into the box and, and playing things that are in front of him and, and kind of, come downhill in a straight line and make a tackle like uh you know he was generally like that was kind of most of his positive plays um but he's not somebody that that I think you want in coverage you don't want him him having a significant coverage role at all like uh it's just not there and 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 he unlike the other two DBs that we talked about is not really that great of a tackler which again complicates things um in, in terms of even the box safety linebacker type roles because um, yeah, when, when, when he was coming downhill, you know, again, mentioned it was, it has, has to be kind of a straight line. And, and then he hopes that he just runs into a ball carrier on the other end of that. And if like, if that ball carrier is, is able to make any sort of move, like he had trouble breaking down and, and kind of sticking with that and, and making tackles. So he had actually, uh, you know, a pretty high rate of, of missed tackles at the college level, which is, you know, never, never a good thing. Yeah, I think that his his change of direction was definitely a concern. You, if you're looking at the positives, I think you think to yourself, okay, this guy had a fair bit of interceptions, and and that's and that's a good thing, right? Is he, is he a ball hawk? I don't know that that's necessarily what showed up on his tape. Uh, I think a lot of his picks were right place, right time. A couple of them were tips um, that he was able to to just kind of be in a positive or advantageous situation. And so I don't know that you see a lot of really strong coverage ability from Hufanga. A lot of his really positive plays were in and around the line of scrimmage. Like they're in the box kind of plays where he's able to run downhill. There weren't a ton of positive plays down the field carrying receivers on seams. He did play as kind of the deep safety or the, the quarter safety or the, the deep half safety. And it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't great. That's not where you want him to play both because of his change of direction and I think in some cases just because of his his identification of what's in front of him uh, just wasn't great. We saw a play where he he didn't switch off a receiver when it was kind of a, a 15 uh 15 yard scissor where he should have kind of switched and gone one way, didn't. Guys wide open. Quarterback ended up bailing him out by throwing to the double covered receiver anyway, but Yeah, as I said, it, that was one of his interceptions, right? Like was it was a play that uh if you're looking at it from a more process oriented standpoint like completely busted that coverage right like shouldn't have even been in that position to begin with and just kind of gets bailed out because the quarterback is under pressure and makes a stupid decision yeah he doesn't he doesn't switch at all so he's one guy's wide the hell open 
then you've got two guys on the underneath receiver and the quarterback is under pressure and he throws it to the underneath guy ends up making a pick but overall definitely a coverage bust from Hufanga so it's going to be interesting to see where he plays I think you're if you're looking for a path for Hufanga it's going to be special teams right away and then you're going to see if he can develop into a linebacker his pro day he clocked in at like 200 pounds I think 199 but he's he's listed at 215 if he's going to play if you're thinking you know Fred Warner kind of like okay here's you know kind of a defender that maybe can you know do some stuff in the passing game and end up bulking up and play linebacker he he's got some ways to go both in terms of weight and in terms of skill and he, and so it's definitely a project but there's a reason he's a fifth rounder yeah i mean don't i i i hope you do not have fred warner in your head at all he is much closer to marcel harris that can't run fast um than he is to to fred warner in terms of what you're looking at from a coverage standpoint there so so if you take away the things from marcel harris that make him uh, a desirable prospect <laughs> you might and, and he had two broken collarbones at usc so it's really if you took the worst things of marcel harris and the worst things of jimmy ward and you put them in one person then you're not too far off uh with to be fair longer. david to be fair it was the same collarbone that he broke twice whatever Two broken <laughs> collarbones. All right. I'm just look as as a man who broke his much collarbone like, playing much rugby. like Jimmy Ward. I stopped keeping track of which bones have broken and which ones haven't. <laughs> look, it's, I actually broke my collarbone twice playing rugby. The same collarbone. Sounds terrible. I, it was it, dude. Trust me, not great, not great at all. Broke it once. Came back too early because I really wanted to get back out on the field. Uh, and and as soon as I hit the deck, it like you feel it pop again, and it's not great. It's like there's nothing you can do. You just can't put your shirt on and you wear button downs with one arm for like eight weeks. It's terrible. Um, But now when it rains, I can tell you right before it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Collarbones. Not great. Trust me. Not great at all. Um, Yeah. I think overall, I mean, look, these players, if you had to place odds on considerable contributions from these players, I think you're looking straight at Ambry Thomas. And, and the rest of them, you're kind of hoping they can round out into something else. Um, but right now, Ambry Thomas is really, of the defensive players that were selected, the player that you're thinking he's got backup written on him right now could develop into something else. Lenoir and Hufanga, you're like, okay, hopefully this hits in some way. Yeah. Yeah, I think Thomas, um, and, you know, I think part of the exciting thing with him is is that there's, you know, probably more unknown because he just didn't have... Uh, you know, a ton of snaps at the college level. And so you're, you're always hoping that you can kind of tease out some of the best things that you saw from him in those limited snaps and, and, and hope that you get those more frequently. We know it doesn't always work out that way, but yeah, I think he's the one that, that definitely stood out most is, is having some potential to be somebody who actually gives you some, some solid contributions on, on defense this year. So we are going to do a scattering report video on one of these guys, likely Thomas, um, for the Patreon. So if you have not taken a look or taken a peek, definitely subscribe on the Patreon. Uh, that's where you can find David uh, not responding to comments. Uh, so, <laughs> David, look, it's just gonna, confusing because we have the comment the one system on the Patreon is not great. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but David, let's say that they wanted to send you a missive, a note. Uh, maybe they want to send you a margarita recipe to help you out. Where where can they do that on the Patreon? I'm sorry, you're breaking up. No, I think it's I think it's episode's over. <laughs> we're, we're fading out. 
Oscar, I can't hear you. I'm going to have to stop recording now. You're you're going in a tunnel. Sorry. Patreon.com slash Better Rivals is where you can find that content. Um, Don't even fucking think about sending me a margarita (laughs) recipe. Um, I will kick you off the Patreon person. I'll sign in and kick your ass off the fucking Patreon if you send me a margarita recipe. Um, but, But don't. So don't do that. Uh, do go there, buy some beer, check out all the draft videos. Um, yeah, we're, we'll have some uh, some videos up on, you know, obviously guys that they've drafted now. Um, we'll we'll kind of see what sort of time we've got, how things um, are looking now that we're going into, you know, more of the dead of the offseason. Maybe we'll do some additional things with Trey Lance or, or something like that. We'll, we'll think of some stuff to, to fill that time. But, uh, yeah, patreon.com slash betterrivals. Buy some beer. You can find you can find me on Twitter. I'm gonna change it to buy some margarita. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Generally making fun of David whenever I get the opportunity. Uh, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. And as always, go Niners.